0: Okay, so I am awful at maths. Anyone who knows me will tell you I'm far more of an artsy kid than somebody who is good with numbers, which is great now that I'm at uni because I can look at films all day and it's wonderful. Uh, But back in the day when I was doing GCSEs, I really struggled with it. I was put in the lowest sets and I was told to set the bar really low for myself so that I wouldn't be disappointed. Now, this was a problem for baby Tash because she wanted to understand everything and teachers do not find it endearing when you're saying but why every five minutes so it's important to note that my dad has been a single dad for most of his life and he would help me and my siblings out in any way that he could so baby Tash would come home armed with an incessant need to understand everything and armfuls of mass homework and I would plunk myself down at the kitchen table and do my homework while my dad cooked so I would ask him questions, and he would listen, and um, one particular evening, I was learning fractions. Big problems there. <laughs> so I was sat there asking him questions, and eventually he came and sat down to help me with my homework. Now, he was teaching me you know, how some fractions equal this amount of percentages, and how to multiply them, and as he was explaining it, a frown was slowly growing on my face. And eventually he stopped and he said, Right, do I need to explain anything again? Do I need to go slower? You know, what's going wrong? And I sat there for a minute and I went, no dad, you're doing it wrong. Now it's important to note yeah, again that my dad has a PhD in artificial intelligence. <laughs> numbers, numbers are his thing. So, imagine, he was sat there, years and years of studying behind him, you know, the grind was put in, and a little girl who likes books and musical theatre was telling him that he was doing basic level maths wrong. I've lost my place. I'll find it again. Wait a minute. Um, So, being my dad, he didn't laugh in my face. He didn't get frustrated with me. Instead, he sat there for a moment went to the cupboard and cracked out a cake and he came back and he started dividing it into pieces this is a half this is three quarters and he said to me this isn't how they do it at school either but I bet it's going to help my dad got that he needed to meet me where I was at he needed to explain something that was far beyond my understanding in a way that I would get
1: and today, God is inviting us to His kitchen table to pull up a seat and s- seamless and bring our questions <laughs> about truth that are incomprehensible to us. Today, we're talking about sanctification, as Annabelle said, how God sits with us patiently and teaches us day by day how to live and who we are and who He is. And there is so much of that that is beyond our imagination and our understanding, and that can be overwhelming. And he does the same for Jonah in our story today. But instead of cracking out a cake, he gets out a plant and he teaches Jonah what it looks like to be transformed from glory into glory through this um, prop, Um, but he does it he does it that way so he can get it in Jonah's own frame of reference in a way that he can understand and so today we're inviting you to pull up a chair to grab a slice of cake because God wants to teach us about sanctification through this weird and wonderful story of Jonah.
0: So we're told all the time by society that we need to have it together to meet the bar to cash in a set of actions so the world can see who we are with physical tangible things. You'll be good enough to study here when you get three A's, you'll have security when you have a car and a house. You can be my boyfriend if you get a six pack and join a band. (laughs) We think we need to have it together to get something done. We think we need a CV, a list of credits to do anything, let alone to do what God asks of us. To be called, we think we need to be qualified and we definitely want to be validated. Think for a moment. How many times this week have you felt that imposter syndrome out of place? Like you weren't worthy to be where you were or waiting for recognition that just didn't come? That can be heartbreaking. It's exhausting trying to keep up with these impossible ideals. And we can feel that in any aspect of our life. Relationship goals, career ladders that we have to keep climbing, keep climbing, never getting to the top. And also the huge
1: questions that Faith throws up at us. God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And that's what sanctification is. It's the daily, moment by moment, lifetime long process of God transforming us by the renewing of our minds, purifying us, sanctifying us, qualifying us to the life that he is calling us to because he doesn't expect perfection from us straight off or for us to come to him fully qualified, fully ready, up to standard, um, at a finished article. He doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Sanctification is the process by which God qualifies us. And so today we're diving into chapter four of this book of Jonah. And we're going to explore this idea. Turn with us in your Bibles, if you've got them or on your phones, to the book of Jonah. It's a tiny little book at the end of the first part of the Bible, which is the New Testament, between the books of Micah and Obadiah, which are also little books. So, so far in the journey... Jonah has been asked by God to go to this massive and massively evil city of Nineveh. Jonah is terrified because this is the city of human sacrifice, of violence and oppression of other nations, including Jonah's own nation, Israel. So Jonah refuses and tries to run away from God. But when Jonah is sailing to the furthest place that he can find, Tarshish, um, God sends a storm And Jonah gets thrown into the sea, then God provides a huge fish, which swallows Jonah, spits him out at Nineveh. There's a bit more detail than that, but this is just your context. Jonah realizes his mistake, goes to Nineveh, and um, goes into Nineveh, and then the whole of Nineveh, really unexpectedly, repents. They all turn back to God and they change their ways. And that's where we enter the story at this point. Nineveh is not destroyed happily ever after. And Jonah, having absolutely preached up a storm, sees that God isn't going to destroy and punish the Ninevites for their terrible deeds. Let's go.
0: But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in the shade waiting to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and ease his discomfort. Jonah was very happy about the plant, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live.
1: But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals, should I not be concerned about that great city? This can be a bit of a confusing part of the story. Essentially, Jonah has left the city and complains to God that it's unfair that the Ninevites aren't being punished for all their crimes because Jonah just can't get his head around the fact that God has forgiven them. And he's so angry that he lashes out at God. It's almost funny, if not, maybe it just is funny, how he kicks off that he's like, I told you so. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I'm so angry, I wish it was dead. Maybe it's just me, but I've definitely had tantrums that look like this. Or maybe I'm just the worst person in the room. Once when I was three years old, I had genuinely this level of response, similar to Jonah, um, when some kind elderly people who were hosting my family didn't provide Yorkshire puddings at Sunday lunch. And I was like where am I? Yorkshire puddings. I wish I was dead. Um, The thing is, they were Australian, so they were never going to know what Yorkshire puddings were. Poor them. Um, But since then, even since then, um, I find that life and God don't often live up to my personal standards and my expectations that I have of them. God so often stretches our understanding of who he is beyond our comprehension, particularly in the area of him loving people that we can't even imagine are lovable. We're so limited and we often try to fit God into our frame of reference because we don't realize that actually God will come to us. He'll meet us where we're at. We try and squeeze him in and limit him, but actually he's like, no, I can come in all my fullness and help you to understand just glimpses of who I am without you limiting me. And we do the same, we can end up doing the same with our faith that we limit and we simplify it. So often we tell a story about following Jesus or relationship with God that is quite linear. So once I was bad, and my life was bad, Oops. once I was bad over here, and my life was bad, and then I met Jesus and I believed in him and I decided to follow him and now he has made me good and my life good. Do not get me wrong, that isn't wrong. (laughs) That's true in some ways, but it isn't the whole story. In some ways, that story is this simple truth from Amazing Grace that it's, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. But sanctification is the story of I once was blind. But now I see. But then I realize I need to see a bit clearly and a bit more clearly, actually. And actually, things are getting quite hazy and dark right now. So I've gone a bit further back. But now I see. Oh, my gosh. But now I see. And now I see. God continues and continues because it's amazing grace how sweet the sound. And it's amazing grace because it goes on and on and on and on. And it's fresh for every day. It isn't just for the day that you decide to follow Jesus. It's for every day. God comes again and he heals me, renews me. I want Blind, but now I see, and then I get blind again, and then I see again. Do you get what I mean? Sanctification is the continual sanctifying, the continual renewing or refining of us by God as he day by day shapes us into who he created us to be. God does not save you and then leave you to wait it out on earth until we all fly off to heaven. He is in the business of renewing the whole of heaven and the whole of earth and the whole of you and me until the end of time. He is not done with us yet. It says in the book of Ephesians that you are his masterpiece. In the book of Romans in the Bible, it talks about how God transforms us by the renewing of our mind. It talks about how we're being transformed from glory into glory, into glory, into glory. Renewed, transformed. This isn't just A to B. Not just good to bad, bad to good. Unfinished to finished. This is not all that God has for you. There is so much more. And he is not done with URI yet. So... God doesn't ask us to come perfectly ready.
0: He doesn't tell us we won't meet the mark because we're just not that kind of person. God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. All too often, we can count ourselves out before we've given ourselves the chance to jump in. And just when we think we've got it, something else comes up and we're still confused. In that confusion and anger and doubt, sometimes we don't even want to engage. We do a runner like Jonah does. But God meets Jonah where he's at. No matter the physical or mental space that he's in, when Jonah calls, God is there. At the beginning of chapter 4, Jonah is arguing with God. He doesn't understand why he hasn't acted in fury and anger against this nation who has acted so atrociously. In response, God doesn't prescribe Jonah a set of rules to blindly follow. He doesn't get frustrated. He asks a question in return. He wants Jonah to take part in that conversation. And that's why the book hasn't ended with this massive nation admitting that they have messed up. It ends on an open-ended conversation. This is not a story of faith that goes from A to B or is finished. There is more that happens here after the happy ending. So God asks, is it right for you to be angry? Notice he doesn't tell Jonah he's wrong. He wants Jonah to engage with what has happened to fully understand why God has acted as he has. But Jonah's still confused. So like my dad cracking out a cake to teach me something in a new way, God grows a plant next to where Jonah is, something tangible. And so the conversation goes on, and God asks again, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now we think we know Jonah so well from Sunday school that we come to the book thinking Jonah's calling is to save Nineveh, to be this bright shining light in a dark place, but actually, Jonah's calling is to understand why God is asking him to save Nineveh. God is qualifying Jonah through his experience of going to Nineveh and helping people who Jonah hates. God is qualifying Jonah to become more like him, to become who God created him to be.
1: God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Jonah's calling is not just to speak to Nineveh. God did not make Jonah for his own benefit. God didn't create and knit together Jonah in his mother's womb simply because he needed someone gullible enough to go to Nineveh. He didn't create him to be a robot or to act perfectly. Because you get it right that God could have just done it himself. Like he's not, God wasn't like, oh man, really need someone to save Nineveh, but I'm really incapable. He, He could have just done it himself. He could have done it in a second or in less than a second. He could just wipe the whole earth right now and make it clean. He could just save us all in a second and save the whole of all of the nations and every person in it and rescue them. Why doesn't he? Why choose to come as a baby and spend 30 years growing up on earth? Why is God so into the slow process? He's in it for the long run. Why does he give us that time to grow and to be in relationship with him and wander back to him freely? It's because our first calling and Jonah's calling is to become who God created us to be, to become more like Jesus and to partner with God in that renewal of the earth. You weren't made just to be God's instrument or his tool. God did not create and knit you together in your mother's womb just so he could get some gullible slave to do what he needs you to do. You're made to be his friend. You're made in the image of God. And he wants to sanctify you because as we follow Jesus, as we befriend him, we cannot help but become more like him. We cannot help but realize that the way we're living now, the thoughts we're having now, the ideas we're having now, the habits we've got now, the behaviors we have now, the relationships we have now are just nothing in comparison with Jesus. They don't match up to what he has for us. It isn't the full glory that God has planned for us. He's like evolving us continually from glory into glory and renewing us from the inside out. And as he sanctifies our thoughts and renews our minds, that overflows into our words. And as he purifies our words, that overflows into our actions. And as he renews and purifies and sanctifies our actions, that changes our habits. And as he renews and sanctifies and purifies our habits, that overflows into our whole behavior. It overflows into our character. It overflows into the entire direction of our lives. It changes who we are into who we were always created to be.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So God calls Jonah and Jonah calls to God. It's a two-way thing. The book isn't about what God does through Jonah. The book is about God's relationship with Jonah. So God doesn't pick Jonah because he's the most qualified to do the job well and quickly. When Jonah's in the fish, God doesn't go, look, mate, do what you need to do. Either way, I need this city saved by Monday. This is because Jonah needs the journey as much as the Ninevites and the sailors need to. God chooses Jonah. He doesn't settle for him. He doesn't think, oh, well, there's nobody else. He picks him out to work with him. God wants more for Jonah, so he calls him to a place where he can grow. He chooses somebody he knows will run, and he keeps choosing Jonah. That's why the book doesn't end on the big exciting things that happen. The most important bit of the story happens after all the crowds have gone home, in the quiet, with God having a chat with Jonah, trying to figure things out.
1: In the same way, the calling over your life, and we love that word or we hate that word, calling, the calling over your life isn't just to your equivalent of Nineveh. You might have vocations or relationships or things that you feel that you're called to. And we so often think that calling is all about those big, scary things like location or job or relationship or preaching to another nation or um, confronting injustice or being with a particular person. But above all, that is the calling for your heart to become more like God's, to break this, for the same things that break his, to love others as he loves them, to become more like Jesus, to be sanctified, to become more like God. And that's the message of chapter four of Jonah. I wonder if you have a chapter four or if you've stopped at chapter three because you're hoping just to tick a box. That's sanctification. By the end of
0: the book, Jonah still hasn't had a revelation or totally understood what God is trying to teach him. The book ends mid-conversation with God posing a question that hangs unanswered. That question that God is asking Jonah at the end, it's directed at us too. Something we can find quite hard to get our heads around is that God feels that way about all of us. You may not feel qualified. You may be waiting for somebody to see something in you for you to go for it, to break the mold or step out of your comfort zone. And it is lovely when somebody notices your work or talents. Hearing these things out loud brings them into the physical world. It helps us to understand what direction we're going in. But it isn't the whole story. God's already seen those things in you. He's had his best view in mind since before the world began. Like when a mother thinks of all the possibilities and dreams for her new baby, bringing all this love for a life they love so much. God has so much he wants for you, but you have to want it too. You have the choice. And it's not easy to choose what God wants for us because it means putting down what we want for ourselves. God wanted Jonah to better understand what loving others looked like. Jonah didn't even want to love the Ninevites in the first place. Choosing what God wants for us means tackling difficult questions we would rather avoid. Avoid? (laughs) Avoid. But God wants you to bring him those questions, to have that conversation with you. God doesn't want any of us to be comfortable in our faith. Nobody grows when they're comfortable. He wants us to get stuck in, to get involved Choosing to step into these dreams that God has for you means bringing more than just your actions to the table. It means bringing all of you, your heart and your mind, to think good, not just do good, to be sanctified. And that's not easy. When I was little, my mum used to ask me to do chores around the house. And I'd get all huffy about doing the hoovering and be complaining, and she'd say, do you know what? If you're not going to do it happily, don't do it at all which of course made me go, oh no, look at me go, I'm the most wonderful daughter, I'm happily doing all of my chores. Um, But eventually, I'd get around to doing the hoovering, and it helped me to better understand what it meant to be part of a family, what it looked like to keep this house well. And apart from that giving me a huge appreciation for what my parents did for me most of the time, it gave me a new way to understand how much they love me. And what a gift to be given a whole new understanding of what love could look like just from changing my attitude to hoovering. God is the same. He wants your attitude, not just your action. It's not just about what you do, it's about who you are. It's about wanting to do good because you understand why you're doing it. Faith was never meant to be a set of dead rules that constricts you. It's a way of life that brings out the best in you. God wanted every part of us so that he can lead us in the life that he created for us. And that is sanctification.
1: But the thing about sanctification is that it can be really hard. So in the Bible, it, sanctification is compared to gold being refined and purified in fire. And God uses real life and divine intervention in the story of Jonah um, to refine and sanctify us. And it can burn. So you can see in our passage, um, it talks about the, the plant being sent as to teach Jonah. But there's also like a scorching east wind and the burning hot sun. But it's not a punishment. The storm that you're in might seem like a punishment, but it could actually stop you from running away from the very purpose of your life. The fish that you've been swallowed by might seem like a punishment, but it will actually save you from drowning. God killing the plant you were sheltering under might seem like a punishment, but that plant was actually harboring and festering a hatred that was going to poison the entirety of your life. Sanctification is this second grace, the grace that comes after being saved, daily decision to follow Jesus um, after we initially decide to follow him. And that means, as Jesus says, picking up our cross, following him, dying to our old selves in order to be made new and made like him. And that's a daily call. But to not be sanctified, to not submit to the refining power of God, is to be stagnant. It's to remain unchallenged. It's just to be the kind of Christian who just ticks a box on a form. It's to stay in the rut of comfort or purposelessness. In the rut of bitterness or unforgiveness or slavery to ourselves and our own desires that lead us nowhere. Even being resistant to it, um, It reminds me of uh, when I was younger and I um, didn't really get that following Jesus was this daily thing of daily choosing to follow him, daily wanting to follow him, um, and and having to open up my life and let him in. Um, I I remember, um, I was talking to my mum this week about it, how uh, we used to pray like really small for my life. Um, I used to have um, really bad social anxiety that turned into agoraphobia. Um, you can ask me more about that later. Um, I won't go into detail now. When I was a teenager. And so um, I remember that um, my mum and I, we would pray. And do you know what? That's amazing that we would pray all the time. But we'd just be like, do you know what, God? If I can just be okay with like, having a friendship or a relationship with someone. If I can just have a job where I don't really talk to anyone. And like, just stay within my means. And do you know what? If I can just be okay with life and be able to leave the house. That'll do. There's nothing wrong with actually if that's the the biggest that your life gets and actually if you find fulfillment in that. But what a tragedy when God is like, wow, I have so much for you. Wow, I want to get you to actually really enjoy talking to people. I want you to go to school and actually have GCSEs, not quit school because you're too scared to go. He's like, I want you to go to uni and to get married and to lead a church. How sad if God had gone, yeah, let's do it your way do it your way, just believe in me and don't let me in any further. You just stay there, stay small, stay scared. Sanctification isn't just like this nasty punishment that God is out to get us and to make us into like clones of him. It's because he wants to expand our lives. It's because he wants to give us dreams that we never even thought we could have. We never even thought that we could step into. We never even thought that we were worth able of being able to hold that's why sanctification is important it's the journey of becoming more like Jesus that's the calling forget all the other court well don't forget them they're actually quite good but like don't get weighed down with this idea of what's my calling what's my purpose in life that's the calling that God has for you becoming more like Jesus which is sanctification Now think how amazing the world would be if each of us stepped into that
0: if we trusted that there was something more for us, if we listened to God, if we went against everything that we've been taught by society that we are not enough, if we really believe that God doesn't call the qualified, that he qualifies the called, that he qualifies you. That might look like asking questions about things that don't make sense to us, or challenging our ideas that we can't do certain things, that they're too big for us to handle, But it starts in the quiet, in the places that other people don't see. That's where our relationship with God and faith starts and ends, with God calling us and us calling to God.